Letters to Dead People, a collection of letters written from the future to some of the most interesting people in history, with questions and the occasional suggestion about their lives. This is Science and Technology, Volume 1. Letter to Mr James Watt, Harpers Hill, Birmingham, England. Targeted delivery date, February 1800. Dear Mr Watt, I've been wanting to write to you for some time, not just to wax lyrical about your engineering prowess or to praise your skill and determination such that your top hat no longer fits. No, no, I, I write to you to give you an illuminating insight into the immense range of benefits that have stemmed from your discoveries enriching the lives of so many people in the United Kingdom. Now, now, from your perspective, you believed you were merely attempting to improve the Newcomb steam engine. This, you felt, would provide the power to be the driving force behind the Industrial Revolution. Power for the factories that have proliferated throughout the manufacturing heartland of this great country of ours. More than that, you totally understood how the improved steam engine would literally provide the motive force to get an entire nation on the move. However, you could not possibly have envisaged that without your noble efforts, a good 50% of Freeview television would have nothing to broadcast. There would be no Michael Portillo traversing the country talking about great railway journeys and his beloved Bradshaw. No greatest railway journey of the world with Bill Knightley's mellifluent tones extolling the vistas of the Antipodean heartland, all from a cosy studio in Wardour Street. No national treasure, Dame Joanna Lumley. Oh, that exertion has made me quite hungry, darling. Sampling a Chinese pot noodle aboard a puffing steam train while traversing the Siberian wastes. And, of course, how could we possibly ignore Fred Dibner's unmistakable voice explaining in meticulous detail how to grease a sleeve valve? Had the benefits to the very health of this British public in being able to watch coal being shoveled into a Type 060 locomotive furnace while eating dinners in front of the television, without so much of a single grain of soot in their lungs, is incalculable. I take my hat off to you. In fact, it brings a tear to my eye, and I must stand and salute you, as I can hear, as I trust you can too, the unmistakable sound of the collie band ringing in my ears. Yours, in admiration, Timothy Swift. I'll write again and explain what the hell television is. I'm just too overcome right now. Letter to Henry Heimlich, care of Cincinnati Jewish Hospital, Cincinnati, United States of America. Targeted delivery date, 1974. Uh, dear Henry, it appears to me that it's not uncommon for doctors of your generation to be strongly influenced by your experience of practising medicine on the battlefield or within a stress conflict. It's often the case of desperate times call for desperate measures. No time for decades-long trials and many of today's medical advances have their heritage rooted in such situations. You yourself served in the US Navy in World War II, out in the Far East. It must have felt a world away from growing up in Delaware. In more ways than one, to be honest. 
After all, it was on this assignment at the age of 25 you developed your first novel treatment. In this case, against trachoma, an infection of the eyelids that can lead to blindness. Your approach of using antibiotics ground up inside shaving foam really proved effective. And as I said, desperate times call for desperate measures. However, it probably won't surprise you that it is for your recently published Heimlich Manoeuvre that you will become famous. Since you'd be motivated to try and reduce the roughly 3,000 people a year that die from choking in the USA, most in everyday situations like restaurants and the home. I'm not quite sure how the beagle dog on which you experimented felt about the whole thing. I suppose at least it was anaesthetized. Your technique of providing an upward abdominal thrust is already starting to show results. Bits of meat are now flowing out of the blocked airways of diners up and down the land. Even the painters and contractors of the country are applauding you, since the food often comes out with such force as to splatter the walls requiring frequent redecoration. In fact, the slightly unusual name of your procedure is rumoured to have caused some confusion in and of itself. While remembered by many, for others there were many misquotes. Although not recorded in the history books, I can well imagine, for example, Mrs Jones of Texas startling the somewhat elderly attendees of her tea dance class by, on upon her friend beginning to choke on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, shouting for help for a hymen remover. In fact, I'll let you in a little secret. In a couple of years' time, the actor Ronald Reagan, who will go on to become President of the United States, will be saved from choking on a peanut by your manoeuvre. Now, you may ask how I know this. Well, actually, I'm from the future, the year 2046, in fact. And so I have the advantage of perfect hindsight. Look, I understand you probably won't believe this. It does sound far-fetched, I know. But it's true. Ronald Reagan will become president. Of course, no treatment is without its problems, even yours. It's easy to learn, which is both a pro and a con. It means that people can tend to get a bit carried away, sometimes causing impact injuries not dissimilar to those caused by the traditional thumping on the back and chest, which your manoeuvre was in fact designed to replace. So maybe it isn't a case of one size fits all in all these situations. Finally, a word of caution. I gather you have some early nascent views uh, on the use of malaria therapy where benign malaria is used uh, in an attempted treatment for a variety of diseases and viral infections. Now, I'm all for scientists and doctors experimenting against the status quo. It's often how advances are made. In this case, however, the evidence seems weak, so I would advise you to proceed cautiously. I hope you don't mind me contacting me this way. I just had to get this all off my chest. Yours sincerely, Timothy Shift. Talking of the name of your procedure, by the way, I do have a question. Whatever made you decide it was going to be a manoeuvre? I mean, armies go on manoeuvres. You manoeuvre a ship into a harbour. Loaded trolleys in B&Q are impossible to manoeuvre. But grabbing choking people from behind?
Letter to Edward Jenner. The Gloucester Medical Society, The Fleece Inn, Rodborough, Gloucestershire, England. Targeted delivery date, September 1796. Dear Sir, I wanted to write to commend you on your work in May of this year regarding vaccination against smallpox. As I'm sure you're aware, inoculation has been tried before, well, well, for hundreds of years, really. And that's, of course, defined as the direct exposure under the skin to the same virus that you're trying to prevent. However, what you did was groundbreaking. To introduce a less virulent form, cowpox in this case, and then through experimentation show that this prevented the full-blown disease of smallpox. A remarkable insight and achievement. You might in fact be amused by the fact that uh, the term vaccination from the Latin word cow vacca has stuck. And even today we use it for when we protect people against any virus, irrespective of how the material was obtained. I did want to warn you, however, that there is a scurrilous innuendo circulating that the inspiration for your work actually came from your involvement with a certain milkmaid. The story goes that uh, the beauty and clarity of her skin triggered the thought in you that it was perhaps her exposure to cowpox via the udders that are left unaffected by smallpox. I'm not really sure where this idea originated from, but you might want to have a chat with your friend John Barron, since sometimes these biographers get carried away and they like to spin a good yarn. The danger for you is probably obvious, um, because you can imagine the mixture of potentially damaging headlines that could come from the tabloids. For example, milk the maid and avoid the pox. Or, I only wanted to touch the teats, my lud. Or perhaps even the more futuristic, gut milk, no pox. I would hate to see your reputation sullied by such rumours. So if you are intending to write a diary on details of your work, I'd recommend you clear this up. This was not the actual inspiration. Yours sincerely, Timothy Shift. Letter to Neil Armstrong, care of Viola and Stephen Armstrong, Ohio, United States of America. Target delivery date, March 1969. Dear Neil, just a short note, I sent this to your parents' house as I didn't know where on earth you might be at this time. I know you have the mission to the moon planned and I wanted just to wish you all the luck in the world. When I heard you uh, speak about your family's Irish ancestry, I got to thinking about what you said about your cousin, Eamon Armstrong. You said he was a big lad, six foot six in his stocking feet. In fact, I suggested in my last letter that you might do a call out to your Irish family when you land on the moon. Uh, something like, this is one small step for Eamon, but one giant leap for a kind of man like me. I still like the cadence in those lines, and I believe you're on the right track. However, the words themselves, you know, maybe they're a tad parochial. Something broader in scope might be more appropriate. Perhaps try working on yourself. Rearrange it a bit. It's good, though. You're almost there. Happy landings. Timothy Shift.